Hello and welcome to the Spidey Dude Radio Network. I'm Zach Joyner, owner of the website that powers the podcast and executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the spectacular Spider-Man Salby Sima era podcast. A podcast all about Sal's run on the spectacular Spider-Man. Before I turn it over to our host, Chris, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network. They help sponsor the show. Greg, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician, thank you all for your support. And if you want to get some more info, check it out at that aforementioned website at patreon.com slash Network to get more perks, like getting some shows early. And we'll have more coming very, very soon. They'll get some exclusives very soon. Stay tuned for that. Finally, before I go, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs, Spy Dude Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Bogan Rider Variety Hour, Clone Saga Chronicles, Spectacular Radio, and Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Be sure to leave feedback on the respective feeds, give us a five-star review, and leave feedback at the email address at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this exciting episode of the show, and now, here's Chris. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Spectacular Sal Basama Era podcast here on the Spider Dude Network. Really do appreciate it, you joining in for the first of, right now is going to be archived, 30 episodes of the show. (laughs) Um, So uh, you're going to hear some comments and some uh, historical facts that might seem a little out of dated, such things as like, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) when now it's 2022 when you're probably listening to this, or it's in the future. Uh, These episodes were on our previous network, and we left that network and we have shunted over to the spider Dude Network, thanks to our friendship with Zach. And he's actually on an episode with us, as well as the host of uh, Mayday's podcast, Kelly. So they'll be coming up in a couple episodes. But um, So there are other voices on this show, uh, like Leo Pont, who's the uh, runner of the Dorkney Network. He was uh, with us for a little while, and then he was unable to continue uh, helping co-host duties. So... Uh, we will be eventually up to date into 2022 with new episodes eventually. But again, please sit back and enjoy these archived older episodes from about a year ago, so they're not too far back. And uh, we will be more into the modern-day timeline of uh, current episodes of the Salba Summer Era podcast. Uh, I will be your host in every single episode, and there will be a rotating cast of hosts. So um, the audio quality, I think, is still pretty good, but there are definitely going to be um, a lot of changes in the voices for the hosting. But uh, me, Chris, will still be here for every episode. But sit back, relax. Uh, the music that you're hearing is the Spectacular Spider-Man animated theme on guitar and one of the best theme songs of this version I have heard in quite some time. Niall Stenson and his uh, YouTube is where we are borrowing uh, a few seconds of this music from. Thank you, uh, everybody, and enjoy the uh, new show here on Spider-Dude Network.
I'll let Chris introduce the Spider-Man show, and uh, then I'll do a little uh, synopsis of it, if you'd like. And talking about why this is the uh, darkest era of Spider-Man, I believe. I mean, um, there has been dark eras of Spider-Man, but just in terms of, like, at the time, this was one of the darkest, just continuing running stories of Spider-Man. Spectacular Spider-Man was pretty self-contained to itself. Yeah, they had their occasional crossover, like, you know, when Marvel did a big crossover, they did Inferno, and that connected to all the titles with the Hobgoblin. And what did happen in Amazing Spider-Man affected other books, because that was the main title. There was Maximum Carnage, which crossed over in all the books as well. But Spectacular Web of uh, Adjectiveless and Amazing all pretty much did their own stories. Amazing was the core book. But and Spectacular was always the like, let's make extra money book. And it first started with Spectacular Spider-Man number one, which was by Conway and Sal Basima, who would come back and do the book later on. Now, we're going to start not necessarily with this uh, per se. We're going to be starting with the Captain Gene D. Wolf uh, death of storyline because... <clears throat> The beginning of Conway and Busima's run on the title until it became Busima and J.M.D. Mateus uh, was the return of the Sin Eater. And I figured for a podcast, we should probably talk about why is it called the return of the Sin Eater and talk about the actual original Sin Eater storyline, which is the death of Captain Gene Wolf. Now, this is pretty relevant to today because the Sin Eater has recently shown up in the Amazing Spider-Man ongoing title involving Kindred and that whole storyline. Not going to get into it. It's not really rele too relevant to the podcast, but Sin Eater currently is running around in Spider-Man. But he's like a magic Sin Eater. He's using his shotgun to absolve people of their sins. He's not killing people. So in the Spectacular Spider-Man books, he is a serial killer. And Leo has the plot synopsis for us. When we go through the books individually, the format's pretty much going to be um, title of the book, uh, credits, and then a, pl a brief plot synopsis, and then going through the title panel by panel. If you listen to the podcast I do, Hackslash, uh, Goth Girl Horror, the Hackslash podcast, it's going to be very similar to that format. A lot of comic book podcasts do that. Uh, they have a plot synopsis to give everyone their accolades and the credits, and then they go over the issue, you know, kind of panel by panel, page by page. Uh, typically, the podcast is going to be one issue. Sometimes it will be a couple issues. We're going to be banging out a few books in the first couple episodes just to kind of get a jump on. But most of the time, it's going to be a single issue uh, of Spider-Man for the podcast, so we're not overloading what we have to talk about. Just this episode being the premiere, and the next episode being uh, the sequel to the premiere, it's important we do you know multiple books. But typically, one book, per, one book per episode, unless we do two because of a crossover event. And we'll let you know ahead of time how long, you know, what that's going to be. So, but Leo's got the uh, plot synopsis and credits for all these uh, Gene D. Wolf killing issues. I do. So, uh, once I pull up my paperwork here. And uh, so the death of uh, Gene DeWolf is a four-part story arc in Spectacular Spider-Man uh, from 1985 to 1986. It ran through Spectacular Spider-Man issues 107 through 110. It can be easily found via trade paperback on Amazon. And again, I provided a link in the show notes, uh, which clicking on it is an affiliate link. So it does support the network. Uh, so we greatly appreciate that. And uh, just goes right to Amazon. Uh, the story was written by Peter David, known for his award-winning 12-year run on The Incredible Hulk. Penciled by Rich Buckler, best known for his work on Fantastic Four, also creating the character Deathlock uh, in Astonishing Tales number 25. Buckley drew virtually every major character at Marvel and DC, 
often as the cover artist as well. This is inked by Brett Breeding, Joseph Rubinstein, Kyle Baker, and Pat Redding. Joseph is known for inking the original 1982 four-issue run of the Wolverine miniseries, and Kyle Baker has won numerous Eisner and Harvey Awards, and his work is, uh, has been across the comic spectrum for many of the publishers. He's done a lot of indie stuff as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, they didn't have information on the other two individuals, unfortunately. So, with uh, the death of Gene DeWolf after capturing a trio of muggers assaulting Ernie Popchick, an elderly tenant of Aunt May, Spider-Man learns that his close friend, NYPD Captain Gene DeWolf, has been killed. She was killed in her sleep. Spider-Man confronts the police officer in charge of the investigation, Sergeant Stan Carter. Carter tells him Gene was killed by a close-range, double-barreled shotgun. The blast uh, and uh, her badge was missing. And that's where it leaves us. This was, yeah, you were right, Chris. This was was absolutely dark. Uh, But, you know, since it's going to be on uh, your pod, why don't we get everybody to introduce themselves, if you'd like. Uh, so why don't we start with, uh, why don't we start with you, Chris? Did we, did we do the introductions previously? Yeah, but this is going to be on your pod. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, this part out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Dr. Chris. I do, uh, the radio horror show for the last 13 years, a live broadcast, uh, radio show on the dial in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, possibly the longest running media radio horror show in New England, um, and I do a show on the Dorking Network, which is currently on hiatus, but I also do several other podcasts that you can find on RadioHorror.com, uh, comic book-related podcasts, Goth Girl Horror, we talk about Tim Seeley's hack slash uh, slasher horror comic book uh, with my co-host Charcy Deluxe. And uh, this was my idea to start this uh, podcast based on this just incredibly dark run of Spider-Man. And by the way, Leo, the credits are the same for all four issues, so we don't need to go through the credits every single time. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's go ahead, guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for me, you know, I never keep on. Uh, I keep on forgetting to introduce myself. My name is Leo Pond. I run the Dorkening Podcast Network, and uh, I think this is going to be a blast. Uh, and also, this gives us a chance to talk to Rich, my friend. How you doing? I'm uh, Rich Davis on Facebook. Uh, CT Joker in the cosplay community for over thirty years, and now here on Splash Pages, I'm the Velvet Joker. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we forgot one thing. So, uh, Andy. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Andy. I run Art, which is a um, group based out of Plymouth, Mass., where we run a lot of art events, uh, both visual and performing. And I also run the Art Podcast Network, which is a small network where I host uh, three shows myself. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, Rich, we forgot to do the ratings by Crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We did. We, we discussed that after each comic book, we would do a rating system, but instead of five stars, five crowbars. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I can edit this in. So uh, what would you give? Uh, what would you give Death in a Family? Um, well, uh, I would give it four and three quarter crowbars. And the only reason is because I really hated Superman sucking in all my laughing gas. <laughs> <laughs> that big blue boy scout uh well uh yeah that was a crazy panel uh i myself i'll, I'll give it four crowbars and uh is just a very enjoyable read uh and uh what about you chris one out, uh, one out of five a, a five are you sure i i thought you didn't like it 
<laughs> no, I like no, no. I said I didn't like Jason Todd. I've okay. never liked Jason. I don't like Jason Todd or Damien. I'm a Tim Drake fan. Okay, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge Tim Drake fan. That's that's where I really started getting into Robin was when Tim Drake was Robin because yeah. he was my age. So that Jason Todd, oh God, I was so happy when he died. So, <laughs> and you're a fan of crowbar beating. Of fictional characters, yes. <laughs> uh, I don't want Nancy Travis's lawyers to come after me. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, uh, was she here the Wasn't she? You mean Nancy the, Kerrigan? Nancy Kerrigan, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Nancy yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, I, my joke got messed up. Go ahead. That's okay. <laughs> uh, and what about you, Andy? Uh, I would give it four and a half. It's an absolute classic. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, uh, Mr. Chris. All right, so um, maybe it'd be easier probably just for time's sake because we are covering four issues to do two issues at a time. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, do you want me to bring up the issues or what would you like? Me yeah, to bring up issue 107 108 on the Still Stoy, as they call it on MST3K for everyone to see. Okay, give me one second. Put that up on Still Stoy, Cambot. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a, here's a couple things. I have a couple quick notes about the Spectacular Spider-Man book itself, by the way, that I want to get these out in the first episode. Um, the original series ran from 76 to 1998, where it was, then it was canceled. And there was a second series, and then there was a third series, which was canceled to make way for another Spider-Man book. And yes, once upon a time in the comic book industry, the comic book industry could support five separate Spider-Man books. There is currently one Spider-Man book per Spider-Man character now. (laughs) If you can believe that. Venom, Spider-Girl, Miles Morales, Silk, Spider-Man, they all have their own title. But it was amazing. Peter Parker, spectacular web of yeah. The, what are the other ones? Yeah, adjectiveless. Oh, just yeah, Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man. That's why they call it adjectiveless, like adjectiveless X Men, adjectiveless Superman, Batman, so on and so forth. And then there was right. Spider Man Unlimited as well, which was a bi monthly book that came out when Maximum Carnage happened. So. Um, right. There was a spectacular Spider-Man comic book, by the way, for a magazine. It was a giant size, like huge magazine, which I wish I'd had my copy with me. One was a reprint issue. Uh, one was an original story that Amazing Spider-Man had been building up with the Green Goblin. If you remember the '90s, the Spider-Man animated series, and how the Goblin like teases Peter at dinner, being like, "Aren't we gonna reveal our secrets, Mister Parker?" And Peter's all like, "He does know I'm Spider-Man." That actually came from this spectacular Spider-Man giant size issue, which is incredibly hard to find. And they have only ever reprinted it one time. But there was a Spectacular Spider-Man magazine before the Spectacular Spider-Man comic book series. And then, of course, there was the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series, which the only reason they called it that is because of Sony trying to create their brand new only Spider-Man show before the whole, you know, we have the rights and Disney Marvel, you know, legal crap. That's why it's called Spectacular Spider-Man. This Spider-Man story by Peter David uh, was the beginning of the Dark Era Spider-Man, hence why the title is the all-new, all-daring Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. They kept the all-new on-daring on there for quite some time, as well as the Peter Parker part, until the run that we're going to be covering in the following episode, The Return of the Sin Eater. Uh, Peter David started on this book. He wanted to make it like a crime story with Spider-Man, hence why the final panel of every issue is a black box, because that's usually when the city has killed somebody. And another thing to point out is that the beginning of this story, you don't know what is about to happen, because it's being told by Jean. And then all of a sudden, she talks about how everything just feels weird. It feels like she she's talking about... Um, real quick. Oh, yeah, so... Uh, it says, 
that pounding at the head in my head? Why do I feel so relaxed? Because I've been dead for a day and I and I have been rotting. That is a shocking moment that the narration is by the dead woman. Right now, Captain G. D. Wolf was a way to give Spider Man his own kind of like um, uh, Jim Gordon. He'd had a cop in his back pocket for a while, like not his back pocket, like the mob, but you know what I mean. A, a cop in his corner. He had Captain Stacy, but he died, you know, in a battle with Doc Ock. And then years later, we got Jean D. Wolf, and she appeared in and out of the Spider books to give Spider Man uh, not a hard time to be like, okay, you you go, we'll we'll take care of it. I'm I'm not for costume vigilantes, but I'm not an idiot. I don't I know you're not a criminal, Spider Man. You know what I mean? I I've been a cop long enough. And she had a badass look too. She wore a beret. She had this like you know mini skirt on. She had the high heel boots. Uh, Maggie Sawyer kind of borrows a look from her in the early days of the Superman book. If you know who that is. This was just an unbelievable crime story that you would see on a crime show um, like any other. I mean, it, it had like little crime side plots in it. Like this kid, this guy, Mr. Popchick, who was this boarder who lived at Aunt May's house, who was always hit on Aunt May, that Peter um, beats up the criminals as Spider-Man. And then the criminals are defended by Matt Murdock in court because Spider-Man doesn't know anything about due process and Matt Murdock does. And Peter doesn't realize Matt Murdock is blind, basically calls him, are you blind? These are the criminals who are beating up an old man, but you defended him. You're kind of a jackass, Murdock. <laughs> that, that was uh, actually a pretty good uh, panel because uh, Matt Murdock goes... Uh... Uh, something like Spidey's here, I and but he he's talking weird. Oh, he must be in his civvies, <laughs> right? And there's other there's other important characters to this whole story. In the first couple issues, we meet we meet a uh, what what is the name of the um, um, African American priest who's always in the news spouting stuff people don't always agree with? Not sure. Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton. I think it's Al Sharpton. Okay, so we have a character in here who's basically the same way. He's speaking for a large group of people, but a lot of what he's saying just really gets more people riled up than actually helping. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's a victim of the Sin Eater. We also meet a man who is a bit crazy, who is hearing voices, and he becomes a very important character. Um, and uh, we meet a friend of Matt Murdock's, the, the person that actually pushed Murdock to become a lawyer. He became a judge, and Murdock became a lawyer. He's also a victim of the senior, Sin Eater and very important in these first two issues. These first two issues set up a huge groundwork for the rest of the storyline and also cements two major things in, in the course of Marvel's history to this very day. And we'll get to them in the second two issues after I hear your guys' thoughts. Well, uh, so I have a quick question. You mentioned... When you're talking about when she's talking about her death, that was not in my issue. Where yeah, was that? Yeah, right at the very beginning. Those yellow boxes, that's Jean thinking to herself. No, no, I and, know. And again, but her being blown away. Yeah, but she doesn't, in this issue, well, in this copy, uh, she doesn't say that she's rotting. No, but you, you learn that when the cops break into her apartment. And they're oh, like, okay. Smell. Okay, uh, yeah, the way you said it, it sounded like, you know, uh, oh, she could smell herself. No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, like, like she was rotten. Yeah, I totally get that. This was her, uh, and then uh, she, she says, uh, you know, uh, why am I thinking about my life? And then it ends right. there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's your life flashing before your eyes as you die. Yeah, exactly. Um, they also go to her funeral, and uh, I listened to a YouTube channel pointing out about the funeral being a little bit ridiculous. Like her mom dresses a little ridiculous for her daughter's funeral. If you notice in the panel, 
and as well as uh, they make no mention of her brother, uh, Brian DeWolf, is actually the Wraith, a supervillain that was killed by um, the Scourge, or I think he escaped the Scourge, I'm not 100% certain. Um, we also need Stan Carter, who is the police detective that is investigating Gene DeWolf's case. He's actually a former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. too, which Spider-Man f- sees on his desk a photo of Nick Fury signed to him, and it's like, who the hell has a photo of their boss signed to them on their desk? <laughs> and, and of note, it's the old school Nick Fury. Yes. Yes, it's the original Nick Fury, who is now currently uh, the Watcher. Well, I'm sorry, no, he's not the Watcher anymore. The Watcher just came back. So he is the man on the wall. Excuse me, he's the old man on the wall. Why? Because we got to make it look like the movie. So, you know, out with the old Nick Fury, in with the new Nick Fury. <laughs> Honestly, that's the only reason why, but we're not here to talk about Nick Fury. (laughs) Um, Do you also notice in this panel, Leo, right here that's on the screen, who's in the crowd shot? Yes. uh, Oh, yeah. uh, Charles Bronson. I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that great? I was just about to say that. Yeah. (laughs) I like that he's holding up a piece of paper that says vigilante, too. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? So, um,. That's that's all the notes I have and thoughts about these two issues. A lot to unpack, but I wanted to give it, get get through it as quickly as I could. Okay, uh, why don't we start with you, Andy? What what were your thoughts on the first two issues? Uh, now I've never been a huge Spider-Man fan, but uh, get the hell out of here! I, <laughs> I actually really dug this. Uh, the uh, Sin Eater really reminded me of Scourge, who I always kind of had. I really liked the whole Scourge story. Um, even though I never really felt it was really as developed as something like this. So I'm curious to no, read more Sin Eater stuff. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to read more Sin Eater stuff and, uh, cause I, I was not familiar with him at all. You mentioned the scourge. It, it, that, if you read current issues of Captain America, that is still ongoing right now. Oh, okay. Oh, they brought it back. Yeah, well, they revealed years ago the Scourge is not one person. It's an organization. And it was founded by right. a Golden Age superhero that Captain America unmasked. And uh, I remember. Yeah, it was in the uh, the issue where the Scourge kills like 20 villains in the one single panel. He just like... And, yeah, and like they're all like hanging out in a club or something. And they're all the crappiest the villain villains bar. ever that you don't care about. They're like Spider-Man villains, Daredevil villains, wannabe Iron Man villains before they made Iron Man like an A-level hero. Spider- Iron Man fought crappy street-level villains for a long time, like like the Ghost and Ice, whatever, you know, Bad Iceman or whatever you want to call it, Blizzard, I think his name was. <laughs> it was like the, the Armadillo and... Uh, right, yeah. Of the Serpent Society. Nope, nope, yeah. nope. They, they hadn't quite been invented yet. Mark Grunewald had only... Uh, there'd only been a couple of those, but they, they weren't the Serpent Society yet. Oh, I thought, I thought <laughs> Death Adder like was one of the ones that got killed. What, what did you say, Andy? Was Porcupine Man in there? I'm trying to remember. I feel like he was. I think he was, but for some reason, I'm trying to remember what was the name of the villain in the in the uh, in the case inside Avengers Mansion that they propped up as a hero because he did one good deed before he got killed, and then the masses of evil broke into Avengers Mansion and were just like, "You can't have that costume. That's our villain." <laughs> I don't remember that. So this issue right here, issue 109, um, and by the way, I have every single one of these issues signed by Peter David and the artist. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Um, This was the very first issue of Spectacular Spider-Man I ever read. Whether it's this copy or not is irrelevant, but this was the very first issue of Spectacular Spider-Man I ever read. I had no 
effing clue who anybody was other than Spider-Man. And I was still a little baffled, like, why is Spider-Man in a black costume that is usually worn by Venom? I didn't get the correlation <laughs> between the two. And I was 10 years old, so that's why. But this blew me away, especially the final panel where the Sin Eater looks like he murders Betty Brant. And I had no idea who Betty Brant was. But this issue absolutely captures, like, Peter's relationship with Betty Brant. Like, that was the first woman he ever loved. Like, before Mary Jane, before Gwen Stacy, Betty Brant was the secretary of J. Jonah Jameson, played by, um, who played her in the movies? No clue. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, shoot. All right, anyway, um... Spider-Man just beats on the Sin Eater after him and Daredevil find out the truth behind the Sin Eater. He goes right to Marla Jameson's house because J. Jonah Jameson's out of town. Marla, his wife, asks Betty to stay with her because it's kind of like Son of Sam where she's like afraid that the Sin Eater business is getting out of control and she wants someone to stay with her while Jonah's out of town. And Spider-Man just beats on Sin Eater because all he's thinking about is that he... Uh, just murdered, you know, the first woman he's ever been in love with. Um, Chris, that was uh, Elizabeth Banks who played Betty Brant. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth Banks. So, okay, stop. Pause right here, Leo. This guy right here, does anyone know how important this person is to Spider-Man right now? No. The wannabe Sin Eater uh, guy, the guy who was hearing voices and was like, oh, it's me. I'm the Sin Eater. <laughs> I'm actually just completely crazy. So this got revealed that this guy was actually the Sin Eater. A little Daily Globe reporter named Edward Brock Jr. decides to write the editorials exposing the Sin Eater as this guy. Oh, and then Stan Carter is revealed to be the real Sin Eater, a police captain who was having an affair with Gene D. Wolf, which we learned in the return of the Sin Eater. And who was part of a super soldier program at S.H.I.E.L.D. to once again redo Captain America's serum, but ended up making him go crazy. They detoxed him and sent him back out in the world. And he became a police detective. This guy um, would uh, be the false sin eater. Brock would, of course, lose his job at the Globe, be discredited. His wife would divorce him. His father would disown him. And then one day he decides to go into a church and try to commit suicide and find a giant glob of goo that has also been rejected. But that's a story for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they tied in in Amazing Spider-Man number 300. Dave Michelinie and Todd McFarlane tied the origin of Venom, Eddie Brock, back to the Sin Eater perfectly, I thought. Really? Yeah, which, by the way, if they ever did that in the movies, that would have been fantastic. But what did we get? We got a guy jumping in a lobster tank eating lobsters. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on, seriously. Every time they've done Venom, it's been a giant piece of crap. You know, the actual origin of Venom that I just described would have made an amazing movie. Um, I do have to say bringing up issue 300 is a little little painful because I had that when I was a kid and uh, uh, it got stolen from me. Do you want my copy? I'll sell it to you. 600 bucks. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's signed by Tom McFarlane. I mean, if you want. Uh. Uh, The other thing about this storyline is that this cements the Spider-Man Daredevil uh, relationship. Peter is like so pissed off that he believed in Stan Carter that he lets Daredevil escort him out the back of the courthouse and all the New York cops are there who is just like, a cop killed one of our own? We got to kill him. Basically, the city is in pandemonium right now because they find out the serial killer is a cop. You know, not great for police department, but a cop who killed another cop. 
and a bunch of innocent people, a priest, a, an activist, you know, a, a black rights activist, as well as uh, a uh, prominent judge that a lot of people respected, blown away by a cop. The uh, Daredevil is left to himself to defend Stan Carter, trying to get him to uh, safety. And he's like, Spider-Man, help me! And Peter's just like, you're an idiot. This guy deserves to die. I'm so pissed off that I'm going to let everything I know about who I believe in just go out the window. And then that's when Daredevil's like, Peter! And that's when it snaps into Spider-Man's head to go save Daredevil, because he knows who he is. Right there, that is a great shot of him just pounding into the Sin Eater. Yeah, he really kicked his ass. I mean, yeah. and Spider-Man, when Daredevil fights Spider-Man, Daredevil is not super-powered. He has radar sense and ninjutsu skills. He does not have the strength that Spider-Man has. He knows that Spider-Man could kill him. Well, uh, that's another thing that really came out in this. Uh, as we know, the the Venom symbiote really messed with his mind, and he, he became more... Oh, uh, uh, well, hold on. This isn't Venom. This isn't the Venom suit? No, he gave up the Venom suit. Just the black suit? This is just the black This is just black a black costume. Arm. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because as, so, as I was reading it, I was thinking, okay, he's he's being more violent because of the symbiote. But uh, So I, I don't know what issue of Web of Spider-Man is happening around this time, but about 12 issues prior in issue 99, it led into Web of Spider-Man number one, where he has his final confrontation with the symbiote. The symbiote disguises itself as the red and blue suit. Peter puts it on and then tries to bond with them against his will. And that's when Peter goes to the bell tower and tries to kill the symbiote once and for all. At some point after this, the symbiote reconstitutes itself. And that's when Brock goes to the bell tower right after he's outed as a fraud and tries to kill himself. And that's when the symbiote finds him and says, hey, don't kill yourself. I know everything about Spider-Man. Let's team up. Gotcha. But yeah, I understand what you're saying about the darkness because years later during the secret, uh, not secret invasion, what was it called? The Civil War, Spider-Man's identity had been outed and mm -hmm. not made within the hospital. He decided to put the black costume back on, but the thread black costume. And that's why they always refer to it as like the darker time of Spider-Man because when he wore the black costume, it was darker. Oh, so like a, like, like a DC of, movie? Not entirely. <laughs> Uh, I was saying dark like a DC movie. Yeah. I mean, kind of, <laughs> sort of. I mean, he was like, I, I don't know. I, you know, the black cat loved it because, you know, she loved Spider-Man and that costume was, you know, kind of like her costume. So I do like Chris that you explained that uh, Sin Eater has uh, that kind of uh, super soldier serum background to him because I was kind of like, how can he take those hits from Spider-Man and get right. up? Yeah. And then nowadays Sin Eater is, uh, some type of corporal ghost or something working for kindred slash i don't know if i should reveal who kindred is but that's a weird storyline going on right now and then that's going to be the next story that we cover um the return of the sunir and that actually kicks off our run of this podcast talking about the sal basima jmd mateus uh jerry conway uh spider-man story this uh, has some weird controversy to it because Peter David was fired off the book of Spectacular Spider-Man uh, because the editor at Marvel thought he was too high profile to write a Spider-Man comic book when he was writing episodes of whatever TV series he was on at the time. Wow. Jerry Conway came back uh, refreshed and renewed because he was writing Spider-Man when he was like in his early 20s. I mean, he was a really young writer at Marvel. And he had left Spider-Man after the, um, you know, the creation of the Punisher and the, the death of Gwen Stacy and the Green Goblin. 
um, the first time we thought the Green Goblin died, and came back to do this spectacular Spider-Man book years later with a new, refreshed sense of like, I know what I'm doing this time. So uh, in the book that uh, we have here, this is actually the trade paperback, and uh, this covers actually all eight issues. Uh, the ones we're talking about are the first four tonight. Uh, but if you check the link in the show notes, uh, you'll have a link to the book there for the trade paperback. And somebody on Amazon was trying to sell the trade paperback for like a thousand bucks. Wow. Yeah, the 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 one I I uh, linked to is actually a hardcover copy for fifty, and then the digital version, which digital version is pretty cheap. Did anyone notice the um, weird type of photos that Peter takes? By the way, no. No. Okay, so this beautiful, busty, blonde character right here, who is an absolute nobody in the book, Peter just sees her running by and is just like, oh, well, there's one for the bugle, a person on the street shot. Oh, yeah. Yep. But if, it doesn't, uh, if Robbie doesn't buy it from me, I can always have it for the spank bank. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he literally says it's for the dark room, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, Peter? And then, um, oh, by the way, so Pop Chick, you know, the guy who gets beaten up or whatever, and yep. then he he um, he buys a gun, and some guys are on the subway hustling him. He shoots all three of them because he doesn't want to be hustled by young people anymore. This is a Viet- this is a World War II veteran who's been who was beaten up in an alley. His accusers were sorry, his uh, assailants were, gu- were were let off scot free by a judge who's easy on crooks and a blind lawyer. He's had it. He doesn't deserve the disrespect he's getting. So he buys a gun, and the first young people come up to him begging him for money, saying, come on, old man. I know you got some cash. I mean, you got those nice shoes. Bang, bang, bang. And then oh. A calls Peter and says, Peter, Mr. Popchick is in jail because he shot some young people. Matt Murdock picks the phone up off of Peter's hand and says, hey, mate, it's me, Matt Murdock. I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's how they end it. You know, uh, that's where, you know, they're they're buddy-buddy right at the end. Do you know how it ends for Pop Chick, though? No. He gets kicked out of Aunt May's boarding house, and we never hear from him again. We can only assume he is probably dead. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got us reading this dark shit for, Chris? (laughs) Keeping up the dark (laughs) thing. Did everyone notice that one page of the Santa Claus asking the little girl to open her window and let him in? Yeah, that was creepy as all hell. Okay, so it's not going where you think it is. Oh, he wants he's he wants the little girl to help him steal mom and dad's stuff. He doesn't touch the little girl. He doesn't do anything to kids. He just convinces the kids he's Santa Claus to take their stuff, like the Grinch, to be fixed. But he's just stealing their yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The 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 second kid he hits, he goes. Uh, Dad's gonna be so happy. He's getting a big screen TV for Christmas, and it only cost me our little little TV. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's so implied that something insanely bad is about to happen don't worry we get there if you if that's the type of story you want we get there on in the spectacular spider-man run eventually trust me it's it's rough and we might have jmd mateus on the podcast with us to talk a little bit about that controversial storyline he came on radio of horror recently to talk about uh his run on spectacular as well as his other work and i had to bring up to him the child within which is a freaking dark as hell spider-man story as you can get Wow. So uh, I know we're running a little bit on time. Uh, what was everybody else's uh, thoughts on it? Let's uh, let's start with you, Andy. Uh, like, again, sorry, Chris. Uh, I grew up X-Men fan, not Spider-Man fan. But okay. uh, 
I, I did really enjoy it. And uh, like I said, the, the Sin Eater really piqued my interest. I don't know. Uh, you know, true. everyone loves true crime, serial killer stuff. So how can you not like Sin Eater? Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, but uh, I would definitely recommend this um, this run. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the best. I, I give it three and a half shotguns, I guess. Are we doing that or? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for now, let's just stick with the crowbar, crowbars. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So three and a half crowbars. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, what about you, Rich? Um, well, I, you know, I also enjoy the dark storyline, the dark aspect of it. Um, I did collect at least three or four of those Spider-Man series at, at that time. And the Sin Eater didn't really like stick out in my mind strongly until I reread it. And, uh, yeah, and I didn't remember like the Nick Fury stuff. So it, it was, it was cool to reread. So I'm, I'm going to give it four crowbars Four crowbars. Okay. Uh, for me, I started Spider-Man, uh, around, I mean, I picked up some, but I don't, didn't really get into it. I, I loved reading, uh, when I was young in the library, the uh, amazing fantasy number 15, they had that and like Spider-Man number one in, in a hard, hard book. And that kind of got me, you know, hooked on Spider-Man. And I really started getting into it in the McFarlane run right when uh, Venom came about. Um, with this here, um, it, it's, it's yeah, it's friggin' dark. I, I even have a couple of these issues, and I don't remember it being this dark when I had it. Uh, but, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, what I love about Marvel is, and you, you can definitely tell the different styles between Marvel and DC since we just did one-on-one. Um Marvel really ties back their stories into previous issues. Like, you know, every like five pages or so, you know, there's a little uh, asterisk with, you know, check out, you know, uh, Spider-Man number, you know, 101 or whatever it was. Uh, so I really enjoyed that, you know, having that canon there, that continuity, um, which you see in DC, but definitely not as much. But uh, I, I agree. I'll give this uh, four crowbars myself. And in the next storyline, we're going to get into the psychological aspect of being um, a serial killer with PTSD and, you know, um, about people with mental health with guns and stuff like that, because that's what the next story arc really touches upon. I know a lot of that stuff can get very political, but I think it's really important to discuss those topics because of the fact it ties so directly to this character, the Sin Eater. Uh, so the next episode will be the return of the Sin Eater, and we'll go through it as quickly as we can before we start doing like standalone ep- issues per episode because of these two storylines being so heavily tied together. And we also get uh, Electro, too, by the way. So Very cool. And how much of a loser character he is because he literally points out that he is a loser character. Every time I put on a costume, Spider-Man kicks my ass. What if I just like walk around my civvies using my electrical powers, you know? <laughs> What what what's the uh what what does Shazam say when he's like making money hustling people for money by using his like Shazam powers in the middle of the movie? Oh wow, uh, is it like uh, lightning from my fingers or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> that's what Electro should do. Lightning from my tips, lightning from my tips. I mean, Electro became such a loser character to the point that he was like banging some chick and electrocuted her in the midway through having sex, and then she got his electric powers and she killed him, and now Electro is a girl. <laughs> Oh wow. wow. <laughs> and she can't call herself Electra because there's already an Electra. And by the way, there was an issue of Spider-Man where Electro fought Electra once. All right. Yeah. It was after the Clone Saga and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I got so co- Peter out, you're ripping my name off, woman. 
You know, the Clone Saga, that's actually when I kind of fell out of comics because it got so confusing. There were so many crossovers, and I was like, why the hell am I doing this? And that's when we're ending this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, it, it that spectacular does not become a standalone book until the Clone Saga finally ends. At that point, Basima and uh, Jay Mateos are gone from the book. So we are ending this with the Clone Saga starting. Um, we will do like one story leading into the Clone Saga because they're part of it. So we should cover it. It's the final pre-non-Clone Saga Spider-Man story involving the scorpion um but uh yeah we're not going to cover the clone saga there's a podcast by the way there is a podcast that covers the entire clone saga they came back after a two-year hiatus to finally do revelation so they have did every single piece of the clone saga oh wow and it was just announced and it's not an april fool's joke early that miles morales is going to get his own clone saga i think i saw something about that Mm. today yeah yeah now, uh, Which is funny because they already did an ultimate clone saga in the ultimate universe that Miles comes from. And now they're going to do a Miles Morales clone saga within his own book because he has his own standalone Miles Morales Spider-Man book. Okay, so so this is a book. It's not a series or anything like that. Oh, 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 it'll probably have like 20 fucking tie-overs. <laughs> <laughs> Got him, I mean, So, uh, Chris, we didn't hear from you how many crowbars. I guess five. Five. Crowbars. That's very new to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just so everyone knows, we are going to try and cover one book per title. It's just the first couple episodes are going to be multiple books to get yeah. through the bulk well, of the story. So, and, and that's smart. I, I, that's why we fell off with uh, splash pages in the beginning because I think we tried to tackle too big a storyline. And we get to record and, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, oh, I didn't have a chance to read the book or, you know, then rescheduling. So I I think, you know, definitely with like at least the first half also is sticking to shorter storylines or or breaking it up like like Hush, you know, when we're going to do Hush, we'll, we'll break it up. We'll figure out how to do that. Um, or or something like again like inferno which has such a huge crossover it's gonna have to be multiple shows you know i'm gonna have to cover multiple stuff of it because of the the main storyline um you know crosses over into other spider-man books i'm not gonna read those spider-man books it's just gonna be like go read this to find out about yada yada that just happened yeah but when we get to like maximum carnage which is a little ways off that will be a multi- that w- that should be an entire you know uh, big crossover event cuz that's 14 parts. Yeah. Uh that's with um that's where 365 is, right? That that one that skyrocketed in price. Amazing 365. 365 is the first appearance of the parents since they died. Wait. Oh, you're thinking of 360 or 361 uh yeah maybe it's 361 i know it's 360 okay. so, the first oh so, so carnage yep, 361. Like, yep so carnage like the green goblin has multiple first appearances you know there's the actual first appearance but there's also like the first appearance of norman osborne which is not the first appearance of the green goblin there's the first appearance of the green goblin there's the identity revealed of the green goblin whereas carnage has like the first appearance of Cletus cassidy and like a blip of blood is like yep. the first appearance of Carnage, but it's like no, the first appearance of Carnage. Marvel's website has said is Amazing Spider-Man three sixty one, and if it's on Marvel's website, guess what? That is the actual first appearance. Scalpers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have this argument with people who are like, but the first appearance of Spider Gwen is in this imaginary dream sequence in the Deadpool versus a uh, uh, Hawkeye miniseries. And it's like no, it's not. It's Spider Verse number two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Marvel on their website, the publishers of the effing book have put Edge of Spider-Verse number two as the first appearance of Spider-Gwen. That is the first appearance of Spider-Gwen, idiot scalpers. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Scalpers suck. Well, not just scalpers, but also store owners who think they know so much or whatever. And it's like, you're just in it for money. <laughs> Uh, well, Chris, do you have any uh, last uh, words before we close things up? No, just keep in mind, we're going to try and do one book per uh, episode. We're doing multiple books right now just to get through a bunch of story or whatever at once. But it's going to be very self-contained. One issue, two issues maybe, but one issue per episode. we got a big Tombstone storyline coming up. It's going to be five parts. Can't wait to do five episodes because that's a lot of books. Awesome. And Tombstone is a great character, too, especially if you don't know anything about him. Considering he's only been in, what, Spider-Verse, right? He was in Spider-Verse. I think he's in the game also. But he was in in terms of media content, big screen media content, he was in Spider-Verse, right? Yeah. 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 And he didn't have much to say, but he was in the movie, at least, which is nice. Because he's been regulated pretty much to animated series most of the time. Uh, uh, Keith David played him in the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series. Huh. Because they didn't have access to the Kingpin because the Kingpin was tied up in the Daredevil movie rights, which was tied up with Fox. Yeah. We know how that, that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> now we have the now we have the Kingpin movie rights, or or Disney does. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're talking about uh uh what is it? Did Fahey say he's not turned off with the idea of doing a soft reboot? Yeah, basically oh, the, saying the that that's canon, but uh, it's canon that we want the actors to come back. That's yeah. as much canon as it is. So yeah. we don't need to trend on what we did before in the TV series. But hey, Charlie Cox, you want a job again? Hey, uh, Maggie, uh, Maggie, uh, Foggy, and uh, uh, Vampire Karen Page, whatever her name is, because she was on True Blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she hasn't worked since then. Well, she takes she she does a lot of work for blind um at uh, uh blind citizens, which is funny considering you know she dating Daredevil. Her husband in real life is is a hundred percent blind. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and of course we all want we don't care as much about Charlie Cox as much as we want to see William Defoe beat up Tom Holland. <laughs> I mean, come on! We all want to see the Kingpin, William Defoe, and Tom Holland Spider Man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, by the way, we didn't mention that uh, the, the Kingpin was in the Sin Eater storyline. He tries yeah. to take a shot at Spider Man to be like, "Go away! I have problems with Daredevil. I don't need you too." And Spider Man's <laughs> like, "Hey, listen to me, fat man, fat shaming Spider Man. Really, um, I want the information on the Sin Eater." Kingpin's like, "That, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't have that." I don't have that type of pull. I don't want anything to do with Sin Eater. <laughs> well, and that was funny too, because it was like one panel right after. So he got there like right after Daredevil did. So he's like on the same same hunt. So it's uh, yeah, I found. Well, that'd be it. nice. I'd like to see Vincent D'Onofrio come into the MCU. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. as the kingpin. That, that's just like in the bar scene in those issues. Uh, uh, guys, uh, uh, Daredevil's in the bar, and, and the bartender's like, not the window, I just repaired it. And then Spider-Man comes smashing through the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Chris, definitely thank you for uh, for coming up with this awesome idea. You know, it's uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially, you know, covering just, you know, a couple episodes or a couple issues per episode. Uh, and, uh, with that, uh, why don't we start with Andy? Where do you like, uh, people following and interacting with you, sir? Oh, they can find, uh, Inebriart on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, just search for Inebriart. Uh, we also are on Inebriart.com. Okay. And, uh, Rich? Um, well, on Facebook, I'm Rich Davis. 
Um, and you can see me at a CT Joker 2014 on Instagram. Chris. Sorry, I was rebagging my uh, my comics. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Sunday nights at 10 p.m. till midnight on Dr. Chris's Radio Horror on WCW 91.3 FM. Uh, I do a lot of podcasts, uh, again, comic book related, goth girl horror. The Hack Slash podcast is the one I will probably more often reference on the show since it's comic book related. We cover Tim Seeley's uh, Hack Slash comic book an issue at a time or a couple issues at a time, depending on the story arc. So uh, we just posted, uh, we, we got a new episode recording coming up, uh, Hack Slash versus Bomb Queen, which is an image comic book, busty, villain, ridiculous book. Very cool. We'll catch you guys later. Bye. <laughs> 